Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. When making your travel plans, remember johnnydollarair.com. johnnydollarair.com is a Priceline affiliate, so part of your purchase price will benefit the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Well, now it is time for the conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. The original air dates, July 11th, 12th, and 13th, 1956, and it's the Shady Lane Manor episodes 3, 4, and 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar, well, this is Jet Bramler. Oh, hiya, Constable. Reckon I got the wrong number. I was calling Shady Lane Cafe. Now, you've got it. I'm sitting right here at the counter. Yes, well, but uh, where's Millie, Mr. Dollar? She's busy crying at the moment. I'm waiting for her to get through and hoping she'll confess to murder. Now, you hadn't ought to gone and made her cry that way. Millie is a fine girl. That's the trouble with this whole case, according to you. Everybody in this township is fine people, all of them. Ellen Bates was a fine woman, too, and now she's dead. And one of these fine people killed her. I'm going to find out which one, Mr. Bramler. And I'm going to tag him for it. With your help or without it. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Shady Lane, Vermont, to the Home Office, Star Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Shady Lane matter. Expense account continues. Item 7, $1.40, one pot roast special at the Shady Lane Cafe, while waitress Millie Wells dried her tears and repaired her face. I thought over what she'd said, what I'd taken for a confession, and tried to fit it in with the other facts in the case. What few facts there were. A young farm wife, a semi-invalid named Ellen Bates, had been shot to death while sitting at the front window of her house. The weapon was an old-fashioned squirrel rifle, a type of gun owned by half the people in the township. Ellen Bates had no known enemies. Her husband, beneficiary of a $10,000 insurance policy on his wife's life, had been accused by a spiteful neighbor of carrying on with pretty waitress Millie Wells. It's a lie, Mr. Dollar. Anyone who says Ben and I were seeing each other or even thought of such a thing before his wife's death is a mean, vicious liar. All right, take it easy now, take it easy. There's no point in getting yourself all worked up and starting to cry again. Ben's a fine man, straight and decent. And it makes me boil to have some low, sneaking gossip try to smear his reputation without reason. It reflects on your reputation a little too, Millie. I don't care about me. I told you what I've been through. I'm used to it. Do you ever get used to something like that? No. No, not really. 
A murder charge isn't an easy thing to forget. You dream about it nights. Prison, the courtroom, the trial. The things they said about you. But you were acquitted, finally. I was acquitted. And I was innocent. But just being tried for murder brands a person for life. What were the details of the case? First, let me tell you about Ben. You haven't met him yet, Mr. Dollar. You, you don't know him. And I know the line you're thinking along. It's the way things point, Millie. Then things point wrong, that's all. Maybe. Go on. Well, he's been coming in here for the last six months. Not often, just... Just every once in a while, just to eat. Does Ben know you stood trial on a murder charge? He does now. He didn't before, before his wife was killed. We just made conversation, that's all. And since her death? There's been no carrying on, as some people choose to think. One day, Ben said, Millie, when, when this mess is all settled, I'd like very much to see more of you. That's all. That's all. And that's enough. Because I love him. About the trial, Millie. It was four years ago, in Chicago. I was working for a family on the west side as a nursemaid, governess. They were wonderful. What happened? The wife died suddenly under strange circumstances. It could have been an accident, or it might have been poison. I thought you already knew about it. That's why I blurted it out that way. Oh, I'd have found out anyway, sooner or later. Yes, I know. It was in all the headlines. The same things that they'll be saying about me here. What do you mean? I was accused of murdering the wife because I was in love with the husband. I left the Shady Lane Cafe and the tortured girl whose secret, close hidden for four frightened years, was now the property of a stranger. It was late now, and the town square was dark and deserted. A stark white moon was climbing the eastern sky, and the soft summer night's breath stirred in the leafy tops of the maples, whispering other secrets, secrets the villagers dared not stay abroad and listen to. A fantasy, sure, pure and simple. Uh, maybe it was a bad slice of pot roast. Anyway, the dim light burning in the office of Constable Jed Bramler brought me back to harsh reality. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Come in, pull up the chair. Okay. Thanks. That uh, girl stopped crying yet? Sniffling a little, maybe. But she's practically stopped. For the time being, at least. Mean something by that? You know what I mean by it. Yeah, I reckon you must have found out about her past, so to speak. You knew about it? Yeah, since the day she came to town. Stopped in to see me, told me all about it. Well, you were keeping it pretty quiet, weren't you? It was told in confidence, Mr. Dollar. All right, but this is a murder case. It don't have no bearing. Millie ain't involved. Would you mind if I had a chance to decide that once in a while? Didn't know you'd be interested. Don't you realize that Millie Wells may be the reason for the killing? Still beating a dead horse, eh? I think that horse is coming to life, Mr. Bramler. You do. The way things stand right now, a prosecuting attorney could go into court with a pretty strong case. The charge, first-degree murder. Accused... Your friend, Ben Bates. You ain't met Ben yet, Mr. Dollar. No, no, I haven't met him, but the facts add up. It's an old, old story. Yeah, it's a downright classic. An invalid wife, a pretty girl, a run-down farm that doesn't look as though it's made a profit in years. A $10,000 life insurance policy dangling like a carrot. Yeah, fact is, it's even worse a picture if you're mind to look at it that way. Oh. That farm of Ben's ain't only run down, it's mortgaged to the hilt. Oh. Ben needed money for Ellen's operations. She'd had three in the last year and a half. He tried every way he knew how to. 
But the banks wouldn't touch it. Well, in that case... Martin Preeny, his next-door neighbor, come through and helped him out. $7,500. Is the farm worth that much? Nope. Wouldn't bring $4,500 if it was sold tomorrow. That's what I mean. Ben feels pretty obligated. And the $10,000 from that policy on his wife would have taken the pressure off all the way around. Plus, leave him free to marry Millie Wells. All right, all right. I know it adds up that way. I've been studying over this thing for a month now, trying to figure out some other way of explaining it, hoping that somebody would show their hand. Yes, make a move of some kind. And nothing's happened, huh? No. Whoever done it is just sitting tight, waiting. Might be a good thing that you come along. Might jar things loose a little. Yeah. Well, whether I'm right or wrong, one thing we've got to jar loose is that gun. That's a fact, all right. Can't make much of a case against nobody without that gun. You said nearly everybody in the township owned one of those old-fashioned squirrel rifles, the type Ellen was killed with. That's right. What about her husband? Does Ben own one? Nope. Nothing but a shotgun. Yes, I saw it when we were out there this afternoon hanging over the mantel. But at the same time, I noticed something else. What do you mean? That shotgun was resting on a pair of hooks set into the bricks above the fireplace. But the hooks hadn't been put there for that particular gun. And they were too far apart. What are you getting at, Mr. Dollar? I think those hooks would fit a squirrel rifle just fine. Ben ain't one to lie. He told me he didn't have a rifle. But that's something else I've been studying about. What do you mean? I kind of half remember seeing a squirrel gun hanging over that mantle in years gone by. Expense account item eight, three dollars. Car expense for another trip out to the Bates farm. A late night trip this time, and the last one, I hoped. Constable Bramler had suggested that my being in the case might help stir things up. Good, I was all for it. And not just stir things up, but wind them up. Tonight, maybe, if we caught Ben Bates at home. Lights on inside. Yeah, you must be here someplace. Oh, evening, Jed. Ben, like you to meet Mr. Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar? Hi, Ben. You fellas are out late. Little, I reckon. Mind if we come inside, Ben? Oh, sure. Sorry, Judd, I didn't think. Well, let's go on back through to the kitchen. That's about the only room I use since... Well, anymore, I mean. Set yourselves down there at the table. I'll get us some lemonade if there's any ice left. Oh, a lemonade lift would suit me fine. Don't go to no trouble for us, Ben. No, no trouble at all. Got it already made. Just have to chip a little ice into it. I reckon you'll kind of have to bear with me. I'm not much used to having callers come around since... Ellen. It's all right, Ben. Here we are. Hey, you fellas got some business out this way tonight? Fact is, Ben, we come out here to talk to you. Mr. Dollar is an insurance investigator. He's here to find out who killed Ellen. I see. You got any ideas yet, Mr. Dollar? I've... I've kind of got an idea you might have done it, Ben. I wouldn't have harmed a hair of Ellen's head. I could be wrong. Mr. Dollar has been checking around, Ben, talking to people here and there. Preenies, Millie Wells. What's Millie got to do with it? Nothing, maybe. Or she might be part of the motive. I didn't even make her acquaintance hardly before the last week or two. What about Mrs. Preeny? You've known her longer, haven't you? Yes, she was a good friend of Ellen's. Why? She thinks you killed your wife. She wrote an anonymous letter about it to the insurance company. The woman's crazy. I knew she never liked me for some reason, but I sure wouldn't figure her to go that far. 
Ben, uh, whatever happened to that squirrel rifle you had around the house? Why, the week before Ellen died, somebody... Yes, Ben? No, I didn't lie to you, Jed, not actually. When I told you I didn't have a rifle like that, I didn't. Not then. And you didn't ask me if I had had one. What happened to the rifle? Well, it was stolen the week before Ellen was killed. I haven't seen it since. Mm-hmm. No, that's the truth, Mr. Dollar. You didn't report it being stolen? Ellen asked me not to. She figured she knew who took it and she wanted to give them a chance to make good. You know how she was. But after she'd been shot by that same kind of rifle, you still didn't report it. Report afterward that the gun had been took before? <laughs> who might have taken it, Ben? I've tried to think. It wasn't nobody came here that week except Mrs. Preeny and Grody Hawkins. Grody Hawkins. That's the hired hand we met here this afternoon, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, I know. The one who was a dead shot with a gun. No, no, no. Grody wouldn't kill nobody. He's a little touched, maybe, but he's good-hearted and gentle. Is he another one of your pets, Constable? Don't you care whether the killer is identified? Kind of a funny question to ask a murder victim's uncle. Uncle? Mr. Bramler... Was Ellen Bates your niece? She was. I didn't think to mention it, Mr. Dollar. Just figured you knew, I guess. And anyhow, it don't have no bearing. Johnny Dollar. Hello? Hello? Hello, hello. Sorry to scare off your caller, Ben. You always answer other people's phones, Mr. Dollar? Yeah, when it's right at my elbow, and when I want to find out who's calling at this time of night. Did you find out? I think so. I know of only one person in the township who'd probably hang up when they heard my voice. And uh, who you reckon that'd be, Mr. Dollar? Millie Wells, Jed. Who else? I think you'd better leave Millie out of this if you don't mind. I can understand your concern, Ben, but I'm afraid I can't go along with it. Your wife has been murdered. Gossip around town says you and Millie have been interested in each other. And Millie stood trial four years ago on a charge of murder. Add it up, Ben. Add it up. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Shady Lane, Vermont, to the home office, Star Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Shady Lane matter. Expense account continued. It was a messy case, hard to move around in. A small community, and everybody in it was a neighbor or friend of everybody else. Except, of course, the unknown person who'd murdered Ellen, Ben Bates' invalid wife. But the ties were close. Ellen, it turned out, was the niece of Constable Jed Bramler. And Sarah Preeny, next-door neighbor, had accused Ben of carrying on with waitress Millie Wells, who was a good friend of Constable Bramler. And Sarah Preeny's husband had helped Ben out of a jam by loaning him $7,500 on a worthless farm. Yeah, it was sticky and tight and uncomfortable. Touch one domino and you moved all of them. But the key to the game, I was still convinced, was Ben Bates himself. Uh, you're wrong, Mr. Dollar. I've known Ben here for more years than I care to think about. Murder just ain't in his nature. Mr. Bramler, I think you're just too close to this case to keep a perspective on it. 
I know these people, and you don't. Well, that's exactly the point. Ben is your friend. He was married to your niece, so you just can't imagine him committing a murder. It ain't in his nature. Oh, I've never seen a killer yet without at least a few friends who were certain that murder wasn't in his nature. Now listen to me, both of you. It's not a question of my nature. It's a question of fact, and the fact is a plain and simple one. I didn't kill Ellen, Mr. Dollar. A lot of things say different, Ben. And there's nothing at all between me and Millie. If Ellen had lived, I'd have never spoken to her. As it is, I've only asked her if I could see her sometime, once this thing is all settled. Uh, when you're together, at least, that's about what she told me. We're together because it's the truth, Mr. Dollar. Or because you've already talked it over. One fault I haven't got is lying. Not even about your rifle being stolen? Oh, well, it wasn't no actual lie. When Jed here asked me if I had a squirrel gun, I said no. And like I told you, I didn't then. It had already been stolen. Suppose he'd asked you if you had a squirrel rifle. Well, I reckon I'd have had to fess up to it. Well, we'll never know, of course, for sure. But one thing is sure. After your wife was shot and killed by a gun of that same type, you still didn't report to the constable here that yours had been taken. Well, I, I, I explained it to you. How would it have looked if I'd have told him after Ellen was shot that my old squirrel gun had been stolen before? And you didn't report the theft when it happened because Ellen asked you not to. Is that the story? She thought she knew who took it. She wanted a chance to get it back without causing them trouble. And, of course, she's not here now to back you up on that. It's the truth. She was like that. Jed here, I'll tell you. Kind-hearted and tolerant with people. Yeah, she was that all right. It's a fact. If either Mrs. Preeny or Grody Hawkins took it, and they're the only ones that was here that week, then she was aiming to talk to whichever one it was and get it back without bringing the law in. Only she never had the chance to. She was killed. Yeah. Yeah, and that gun figures in it somehow. It's bound to. Look, we've got to find it, Mr. Bramler. Might take some doing. Then we'd better get at it. Tonight? Tonight. We got things stirred up now. Let's keep them stirred up. All right. Ben, you claim you're not guilty of this. It ain't a claim. It's a fact. Then who would you say is the most likely suspect? Oh, Ellen didn't have a single enemy in this world, as far as I know. There ain't a person in this township that had a reason to kill her. Except you. For the money, you mean? For that life insurance policy? It's worth $10,000. And I'm that kind, you think? A man who'd murder his own wife just to get his hands on $10,000. Ben, I don't know. But there's one thing you can count on. I'm going to find out. Constable Bramler and I left Ben alone in his empty farmhouse, drove back into town. The moon was higher now, and the countryside was dappled in black and silver. And it, too, was empty and silent. We alone moved and made noise as we rattled down the winding dirt road through the Flint Rock Valleys between the sleeping elms and maples. Logic still pointed at Ben Bates, but I'd begun to doubt logic a little. Ramler was right. Murder didn't seem to be in Ben's nature. And I wasn't sure now whether he sat there in his silent house alone with guilt or alone with grief. Brody lives back of the feed store there. What do you mean, back of it? Well, kind of a shack there on the back corner of the lot. They let him live in it in return for keeping an eye on the store at night. Yeah, quite a choice for a night watchman, a kid who's been up several times for petty theft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I reckon it does seem a bit odd. Well, let's go see if he's there. You know, folks around here use a person according to his nature. Grody is pretty reliable at something he's made responsible for. And why do you think he might have stolen that squirrel rifle from Ben Bates' place? He was working for Ben, wasn't he? Ah, uh, but just as a hired hand, he wasn't hired specially not to steal. 
But here he is. Oh, now, that's a fine point of ethics. Well, most points of ethics is that way. Reckon Grody just does ornery things sometimes so people will notice him, take an interest in him. He's a little simple-minded, but he ain't a bad kid at heart. Is anybody bad in your book, Mr. Bramley? Whoever killed Ellen Bates is. Watch step now. It's pretty dark back here. Yeah. I hope nobody has dug a hole here someplace. Ain't likely. No, I think the door is here by the corner somewhere, if I recollect rightly. It's been a long time. Watch it. You all right? <sighs> Bruised machines all. Now, who in the Sand Hill put all these boxes in front of the door? Here? You stop right there now. Don't you move. He's got a rifle on us. All right, don't try nothing, Mr. Dollar. Like I told you, he's a dead shot. What you whispering about there? Uh, never you mind, Grody. You just put that gun down. I'll put it up. Don't you move now. Let me get my flashlight. It's Jed, Grody. Constable Bramler. Mr. Dollar's with me. You stand still till I get a light on you. Then we'll see. Thank golly, tits. Yes, didn't you recognize my voice? Never can tell. People might try something funny. Try to break in. Something like that. Well, now that you know who we are, Grody, how about having a look at that gun you're holding on us? Well, I don't know. I guess if Constable Bramler says it's all right... It's all right, Grody. Let him look at the gun. All right, then. Here. Thanks. Mind holding the flashlight here? All right. Well, at least this isn't the one. It's a twenty-two. What are you fellas up to, anyhow? Grody, what did you do with that squirrel rifle you took from over Ben Bates' mantle? Well, Grody? I don't know what you're talking about. You don't. Anybody says I done that is lying. Nah, nah. Don't get excited, Grody. We don't want to wake up this whole town while we're walking across there. Where are we going, Constable? Over to the city jail. <laughs> Quiet night. Not even a mockingbird singing out there. I wish that bird back in the cell would do some singing. Yeah, he will. Always gets to bothering him after he's in for a while. Thirty minutes hasn't bothered him much. He'll talk pretty soon. Provided, of course, he has anything to talk about. I know that boy inside out. Now, whether he stole that gun or not, he's lying about something. <laughs> I'm going to have to buy some oil one of these days. Doggone chair even gets on my nerves. <laughs> I don't think anything gets on your nerves, Mr. Bramwell. Well, the country up here has that kind of influence, I reckon. These hills are older than man. They've seen a lot of things come and go. Guess they kind of quiet a person down if he stays here long enough. I doubt if this place is as quiet as it looks. I think there are things under the surface like flint rocks in a field, and sooner or later they work to the top and break off a plowshare. Yeah, happens sometimes. Isn't there anyone you can think of who might have hated her, even slightly? Mr. Dollar, if I was to say honestly who I thought was the best-liked person in this whole township, I would have to name my niece, Ellen Bates. And yet somebody put a bullet through her head and fired at her from the brush without even any warning. It's a fact. There had to be a lot of hate behind that bullet. Or a lot of greed. <laughs> Same old tune, eh? Ben killed her for the insurance. I keep coming back to it because nothing else makes any sense. And neither does that. He owed that mortgage to Martin Preeny, and the farm wasn't worth it. Martin wasn't pressing him for it. Maybe not. But if I tag Ben right, he still felt the obligation, the sense of pressure. $10,000 must have looked pretty big to him. 
Not that big, Mr. Dollar. Then there's Millie Wells, pretty as a picture and in love with him. And an invalid wife at home. Constable? Well, our pigeon's starting to chirp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let him think I ain't coming right away. He gets more anxious. Saves time in the long run. Matter of understanding his nature, huh? Something like that. Constable Bramler? What about your nature, Mr. Bramler? Always was kind to my mother. And your niece, too? Meaning? How did you and Ellen get along? Fine. Just fine. Constable! Hmm. Reckon he must be ready to talk now. It's true. I was lying about it. I stole that gun, all right. But I ain't got it now. Where is it, Brody? I sold it to Mr. Martin Preeny to hang in his house. Martin Preeny? Yeah, can't figure Martin paying money for something to hang in the house. He's too tight-fisted. He gave me $4 for it about three weeks ago. That would be after Ellen was shot. And you took the gun the week before the murder. Are, are you saying that I shot Miss Bates? That gun was in your possession at the time, Grody. Oh, she was the best friend I ever had. The only one in this town that ever treated me like somebody. I wouldn't have done nothing to hurt Miss Bates. You had that gun, the same kind she was killed with. Oh, that gun ain't been fired in years. What? Well, Mr. Bates never did use it. Well, it's even got rust inside the barrel. Grody, for your sake, I hope it has. Johnny Dollar. Good morning, Mr. Dollar. I do hope I didn't wake you up. I was already up, Mrs. Preeny. Mrs. Pre... Well, how did you know? I recognized your voice. What can I do for you? Well, I... I know you'll think me terribly forward, but I have to see you, Mr. Dollar, right away. All right, I'm in room 22. Come on up. Oh, good heavens, I couldn't possibly do that. After all, you're a man, and I'm... And you're a woman. Mrs. Preeny, I'm sure you haven't come into town this morning to play footsie. So let's both relax and forget about the fact that... This is a small town, Mr. Dollar, and you know how people talk here. Yeah, I know. And what are they talking about this morning? Well, the murder, I suppose. And, Mr. Dollar, I've got to see you right away. I've done a horrible thing, and I'm ready to confess. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Shady Lane, Vermont, to the Home Office, Star Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Shady Lane matter. Expense account continued. Item 10, 55 cents, a cup of coffee for myself and a pot of tea for Mrs. Sarah Preeny. She considered the hotel lunchroom an innocent enough place, and I met her there five minutes after she phoned my room. It was Mrs. Preeny who'd brought me into the case by writing the anonymous letter to the insurance company. Ellen Bates, a farm wife with no known enemies, had been shot to death. Mrs. Preeny, her best friend, had implied in the letter that Ellen's own husband, Ben, was guilty. And I was inclined to agree with her. Ben was the beneficiary of Ellen's $10,000 life insurance policy. There seemed to be no other motive, unless Mrs. Preeny was about to confess one. She didn't do it, Mr. Dollar. Who didn't do what? That girl. She didn't warm the teapot. For two cents, I'd send it back and make her do it right. Well, I'm a little pressed for time, Mrs. Preeny. Oh, I'm 
I'm not going to do it, really. I just said that. I, I wouldn't want to attract attention under the circumstances. You mean the fact that I'm a man and you're a woman, and apparently the twain had an ought to be meeting, in Shady Lane, at least. Well, people will talk, you know. And I didn't want Martin to know. Why not? Well, then he'd want to know why, of course, I'd have to tell him, and, well... Well, as a matter of fact, Mrs. Preeny, I'd kind of like to know why. Well, it's... Oh, this isn't easy for me to say, you know. Well, let's have a try at it anyway. It's about that letter that I wrote to the insurance company that I didn't sign my name to. Yes? It was a terrible thing to do. Just terrible. In what way? Why, those things I said about Ben... Mr. Bates, I mean. Insinuating he might have had something to do with Ellen's death. Her murder, I mean. You made some fairly definite statements, Mrs. Preeny. They weren't true, Mr. Dollar. But I'm telling you the truth now. I know Ben didn't have anything to do with Ellen's death. Mrs. Preeny, there were some other things you implied to me, too, you know. Yes, about him and... and Millie Wells that works at the Shady Lane Café... I said they were carrying on before Ellen was killed. I made that up just to hit out at him. Why? I don't know, really. Ellen was wonderful, and I just loved her. But sometimes I'd get to thinking that... Not that my Martin isn't a fine man, you understand. Steady, reliable... You know, you've met him. Oh, yes, I'd say your husband is quite steady and reliable. I didn't want you to think that I was saying anything against him. But life on a farm isn't easy for a woman at the best, Mr. Dollar. Sometimes she gets silly notions, I guess. What sort of notions? Oh, a, a woman's human. She wants a little warmth, understanding. That's all. Nothing more. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I think I do. But Ben Bates, well, he didn't even look at me, didn't see me. That's all I wanted, just for him to look at me. But he didn't do it, Mr. Dollar. Not even once. I left her sitting there in the stark bare wooden booth in the lunchroom, sipping her prim cup of cold tea and trying to hide a red-faced confusion behind the shreds of decent dignity. Constable Bramler was right. Scratch the surface of Shady Lane anywhere and you found a human passion just beneath the skin. Good morning, Constable. Yeah, morning, Mr. Dollar. Sleep well? So-so. How's Grody Hawkins? Still asleep, back there in his cell. He admits stealing that squirrel gun from Ben Bates' mantle the week before Ellen was shot. And claims he sold it to Martin Preeny the week after the murder. Yeah, so by his own admission, the gun was in Grody's possession the day of the killing. But Grody claims the gun is rusty and hasn't been fired in years. Yeah, whether it's rusty or not, Grody didn't kill nobody. Have you been out to the Preeny farm yet to pick up the gun? No, figured you might like to do that yourself. You can use my car if you want to. Cost you another three dollars, though. How did you make a living before I came along? It wasn't easy. Traffic tickets, mostly. New turnpike's gonna stop all that, though. Misses the town complete. Along with Ben Bates' farm, huh? Yeah. Too bad they didn't stick to the original survey. Made that place of his worth something, maybe. And it might have saved his wife's life. (laughs) 
Still beating that dead horse, eh? Oh, Ben Bates was up against the wall. A worthless farm, mortgage for $7,500 to Martin Preeny, a strong sense of moral obligation to pay it off, an invalid wife who would never get well, with a $10,000 policy on her life. Murder ain't in Ben's nature. I've told you. Then whose nature is it in? Mrs. Preeny's, maybe? She came to see me at the hotel a little while ago. You don't say so. She wanted to explain why she'd lied about Ben. Uh-huh. Reckon it was because he wouldn't pay no attention to her. Who told you? Hmm. Figured it out. Reckon Martin ain't too easy a man for a woman to live with. Too straight-laced, tight-fisted. And Ben right next door that way. Fine-looking young fella. Her running in all the time, taking things to Ellen. Bound to want to be noticed. Yeah, it's the nature of a woman. What about Ellen, Mr. Bramler? She was your niece. What was her nature? <sighs> Ain't so easy to figure your own kin, Mr. Dollar. Reckon it was just her nature to be a victim, kind of. I drove slowly through the early morning countryside, lush and green, still moist from the night dew and not yet touched by the heat of day. Farm after farm, snug and smug and safe. But Ellen Bates, a woman who never harmed anyone in her life, had lived on such a farm. Yet a bullet had crashed through the window and found her. I'd left the car parked in the yard and walked on up to the porch. The door opened before I had a chance to... Oh! Oh, good morning, Mrs. Preeny. You surprised me, Mr. Dollar. Is your husband at home? Yes, he's... He's in there working on his accounts. I was just going to take some strawberry preserves to Mrs. Thrasher up the road. She hasn't been feeling too well. Sorry to hear it. You're... You're not going to say anything to Martin about... Well, you know what about... I wouldn't think of it, Mrs. Preeny. Thank you. I have to take these preserves to Mrs. Thrasher. You just go right on in, Mr. Dollar. Yes, thanks. Mr. Preeny? In here. Come on in. Sorry to bother you this early in the morning. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Just finishing my accounts for the fiscal year. What can I do for you, sir? Well, unless I've been misinformed... You bought an old squirrel gun from Grody Hawkins a while back. That's right. It's hanging there over the fireplace. Quite a bargain, unless he stole it someplace. As a matter of fact, he did. From your neighbor, Ben Bates. Mm. Then I'm out the price. I'll take it over to Ben this afternoon. Mind if I take a look at the gun, Mr. Preeny? I'm trying to check up on Grody's story. No, no, go right ahead. I'll just finish this total while you're at it. Then we'll have time for a chat. He went back to the ledges on the table in front of him, and I reached up and took down the rifle, down from its hooks above the mantel. Grody had told the truth. There was rust in the barrel and breech. The gun hadn't been cleaned nor fired in a long time. The hooks over the fireplace were old and rusted, too. They'd been there for years. And suddenly I knew. Find what you were after, Mr. Dollar? I found more than I was after. I found out who killed Ellen Bates. Grody Hawkins? No. No, not Grody. And not Ben Bates. Even though he is named as beneficiary of that $10,000 insurance policy. What do you mean? It was somebody who stood to profit even more than Ben did from that $10,000. Who? Somebody who made a $7,500 loan out of kindness. That alone should have tipped me off, Mr. Preeny. As Jed Bramler says... It wasn't in your nature. My nature? But of course it wasn't kindness. 
At the time, it was good business because a turnpike was planned that would make the farm worth double the loan. But the road fell through and you were stuck with a worthless farm, unless Ben could get money to pay you. I imagine that's when you started thinking about murder. Are you accusing me of murder, Mr. Dollar? Those hooks over the mantle have been there a long time. Where's the rifle that hung there before you bought this one from Grody Hawkins? There might not have been one. The neighbors will remember. Let me uh, just put down this final total. Yeah. I had a good year last year. Very good year. I doubt it's going to be that good this year. No regrets, Mr. Dollar. It's like farming. You take risks on drought, frost, insects. Sometimes you make a mistake and lose. I knew I'd made a mistake the second I pulled that trigger. After that, it was just a matter of time. The gun is buried out behind the barn. I'll get my hat. Item 12, $94.35. Incidentals in Shady Lane and transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $186.60. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week, a diamond, a huge one, the star of Cape Town. A piece of ice that should have been kept on ice. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is written by Les Crutchfield and produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Jeanette Nolan, Forrest Lewis, Shirley Mitchell, Will Wright, Bert Holland, and John Daner. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Johnny kept Jeb Ramler on his suspect list to one degree or another all the way to the end of the story, which is impressive as there was never any reason to suspect him. As was the case with so many of the serials, this was adapted from a John Lund episode, in this case the Piney Corners Matter from 1954. We played that one on the podcast in September of last year, and I said at the time that the show, that the episode's point about being able to discern who committed the crime based on their nature had been undermined for me by listening to so many episodes of Tales of the Texas Rangers, which we were also playing at that time. There are only so many times you can listen to an episode where Jace Pearson has to patiently persuade a sheriff that the buddy they swore couldn't be the killer had committed the most brutal crime imaginable. The in-their-nature philosophy rings hollow because there's only a certain degree to which you can know people and what they are capable of, even in a small town. However, thinking about it this time, I think that what Johnny did was a bit of a twist on uh, Bramler's philosophy. In some ways, it's like the opposite point. Bramler was taking a look around town and seeing potential suspects and saying murder was not something that they were capable of. They weren't capable of doing something that bad. But Johnny took a look at an act of generosity, or seeming generosity by Martin, and said, you know, being that generous, that's not something that he would do. That's not in his nature. And taken together with the other indications, Martin's the guy. The final scene was played really well, and uh, I, I loved how... Uh, cold and matter-of-fact Martin was about the whole thing, viewing it as a business decision and as a mistake, but in a really dispassionate, business-like way. I mean, before Johnny had accused him, he was pointing a suggestion at an innocent teenage boy. That shows the sort of cold-bloodedness of his approach, and it's not something that Bramler would like to think about, but it was totally in his nature and at the core of the whole case. One thing I remember about this episode is we actually moved it up a few weeks out of where it would normally play because uh, Shirley Mitchell, who appeared in this, passed away at the age of 96. And I wanted to play something with her in it, kind of in honor of her. It's Hard to believe that it's been t that long since she passed. All right, uh, well, listener comments and feedback now. And we have uh, this from Mailvox Uno over on Podbean, who writes regarding a serial episode of Johnny Dollar, What a Great Run. And that's absolutely right. I think that one way... You know, to evaluate this whole era of the series is to look at it as a run. And I think you look at each story close enough, you're going to find things that are off or weird in one way or another. But none of that really diminishes the series as this long 
58-week run of episodes, which is really incredible, and I still think some of the best radio drama ever produced. It's incredible in so many ways with just great acting from the top as well as a superb company of actors who play all these supporting roles, and some pretty solid and interesting writing. And the pace at which this series was made is remarkable. Because you add it up and you're essentially putting out an hour per week, every week, without really any breaks other than for the national conventions. You consider how many series that we put out today, or that are put out, I don't want to take any responsibility for them myself, but how many series that are put out where they will do 13 episodes, if that, in an entire year. And there are benefits to doing it that way, obviously, but you have to respect the quality of this series, given that they had to be doing things week after week. And at this rate, because one thing, while a lot of the older dramatic serials seem to drag on forever, you know, you might have a 25-part story on something like The Adventures of Superman, and the reason you do that is you don't want to be coming up with a new scenario, a new set of characters every week. You want to tell a story that will last a good long while. And that definitely helps you to appreciate what they do on Johnny Dollar in essentially giving every week a new mystery and not just, you know, the sort of half-hour kind that happened for so many years, but really almost a feature-length mystery every single week. Thank you so much for the comment. And then over on Site Called X, Tina writes regarding the long shot matter, very good episode. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Boz. Boz has been one of our Patreon supporters since April 2019, currently supporting the podcast at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Boz, and that will do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. If you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We will be back on Tuesday with another Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet, where... Fill me in. How did it happen? Well, the guy took the girl out of business school. He had her called out of class. Told her her father was sick, said he was a friend of the family's. Well, how about the teachers? What was their story? Said the girl didn't want to go with the man at first, but he finally talked her into it. Kept telling her her father was dying. That's about as low as it come? Yeah. Did he use a car? Witnesses said it was a blue sedan. They didn't get the license number or the make. Did they remember what the guy looked like? About 5'9", 160, brown suit, dark hair. Hmm. Nothing else? No. Here's a copy of the letter. The usual. Read it. Yeah, yeah. I have your daughter, Judy. Get, uh, what, what's that? $30,000. $30,000 quick if you want her back alive. Don't call police or I'll kill her. Contact you later. Signed, uh, what was it? The Wolf. Oh, Wolf, huh? I could think of a better name. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. 
Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>